Cloudspeaker Studios. Hey there, I'm your host, Sarah Menares, and you're listening to the We Podcast, where together we find inspiration, encouragement, and growth through stories and real talk. Here we navigate the messy human experience together. We raise our voices and speak our truth. In this space, we value the conversations that broaden our perspective and help us fully understand that we are connected, we are capable of growth, and that we are not alone. Are you ready? Let's get real. Today, I'm super excited to have Andrea Stolzworth here with me. Andrea is a wife, mama, daughter, sister, friend, and entrepreneur. But most importantly, she's a woman who's healing and growing. Rising from the ashes of a difficult childhood, bullying, low self-esteem, an abusive marriage, and single parenthood, she is on a mission to share her story. Andrea was diagnosed with a hair-pulling disorder called trichotillomania when she was 12. This condition was ammunition for bullies during her growing up years and became her full-time secret. I'm so glad she's here today to talk about that secret because after 30 years of keeping the secret, Andrea decided to share her story and free herself from the chains that were binding her. Since then, she's been living her truth out loud. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> she's been through a transformative journey, leaving her happier and freer than she has ever been. Andrea hopes to use her story to help people of all ages overcome the trauma that comes with bullying and self-hatred. So thank you so much, Andrea, for being here with me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. So this disorder, I guess maybe that would be a good place to start out because probably a lot of our listeners don't know what trichotillomania is. And so you can kind of take it away, maybe explaining what it is, diving into into kind of sharing with us your experience around it. As surprising as it is now that a lot of people don't know what it is, it was even worse when when I was 12. I you know, bet. I'm 43, so it's, you know, so long ago. It's a body-focused repetitive disorder. I always compare it to like nail biting, you know, people that bite their nails. As a little girl, I was always a, an anxious little girl. And my parents who, you know, loved me to no end were both people that didn't really do emotion. Neither of them grew up in an emotional household. So they didn't really have the tools to teach, you know, kind of an anxious, deep feeling little girl how to deal with her emotions. So I remember one day I was in the bathroom and I happened to look in the mirror and I saw one eyelash that was like curled downward. And I couldn't tell you why. I have no idea what prompted me to decide that, you know, I needed to pull that eyelash out. No clue. But I did. So and I I worked and worked at it and tried to grab it just right. And then I kind of noticed kind of subconsciously because I was only 12. But as I was working to pull that one eyelash out, it's like my body just got kind of more and more and more anxious and even now talking about it, I can feel that that tense feeling in my whole body. And then when I finally got it, 
it was like a balloon that just all of the anxiety and everything just just left my body. And I think at that point, that was the first time in all of my years that I was like, whoa, that's what letting go of, of everything feels like, you know? And I think that probably it was, I had just found this way to quote, deal with, with all of these feelings that I had. And so it continued with my, my eyelashes and my eyebrows until, you know, I just had none. I had just pulled all of them out. And then I think it was in my eighth grade year, maybe before my ninth grade, the summer before my ninth grade year that I started pulling um, the hair on my head. And I could still, you know, cover it up all through high school with, with hairstyles and such. After ninth grade, it got a little bit better. It was still a problem, but it wasn't horrible. I could still cover it. It was after high school and after my, you know, I got into an abusive marriage once I got out of that, um, that it got really bad. It's just kind of been what it is. So that's kind of the story of the actual trichotillomania and what it is. I just, you know, I do, I, I liken it to people that bite their nails. It's just kind of a anxiety disorder to me is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's classified under anxiety disorders. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it has yeah. to be because I know that's that's what it's been for me, you know. It's it's an anxiety situation. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. How did your parents handle that? Did, what how was that handled in your household? I mean, cuz you recognize, I'm sure your child doesn't have eyebrows or eyelashes. My mom knew that I was doing it. Oh. Bless my mom. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to do with me. You know, there wasn't there was an internet and and things like this at the time. So my mom is just going, oh, what the heck? You know, she would tr- she tried really hard. She got me some gloves to wear at night, um, and she would come into my room every morning to wake me up and and ask me, did you pull last night? And I would lie and tell her no. You know, even though mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. And they finally took me to a therapist who diagnosed it, gave it a name. You know, that was pretty, that was helpful. It didn't help with the trichotillomania, um, but it, you know, it helped in kind of other areas of my life to be able to talk to somebody. But yeah, I think, I think after a while, my parents just thought, okay, well, it just, you know, it is what it is. They tried pretty much everything they could think of to help me, but I'm not sure. Even now, as an adult, I'm not sure what I would do as a parent if one of my kids suffered from it, because I don't know if there's anything that you can do, you know, except maybe teach your kids to be ultra confident in who they are from the very beginning, you know. So, yeah, they tried. They tried is so hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I asked partly because I have had parents come to me and say, hey, my child is pulling out their eyelashes or this is happening. You know, what do I do? And it's hard. I mean, every situation is, is different, but I do think therapy is, is a big factor in helping to manage the anxiety and dig into the anxiety and kind of what the underlying things are that are going on that may be leading to the need to have that behavior. Yeah. And I would, you know, I would just really suggest keeping an open line of communication and just be their soft place to land because being a child and going to school with this disorder is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. 
And that's including being in an abusive marriage. Being in middle school with no eyelashes and no eyebrows was the worst thing. I didn't come to my parents and tell them that I was being bullied horrendously. I don't know why, Hmm. but I feel like maybe if the lines of communication had been a little stronger with my, you know, with my parents that maybe I would have. So, oh man, that's the advice I would give is just be their cheerleader, be, you know, be the person that thinks they are the greatest thing in the world, even without eyelashes or hair or, you know, that's what I would say to them. That's beautiful advice. Yeah. Yeah. Let's dive into a little bit more of the bullying, if that feels comfortable to you. Because I know that you have said that the bullying really has caused a lot of the trauma that you have faced in your life. Um, So this started when I was in fifth grade. I remember the moment that my main lead bully figured it out. We were all gathered around in the classroom and the teacher had picked one person to read out loud from this book. And I was that person. So I was sitting with the book and there were just students around me. My main bully was standing right next to me. And as I was reading, I could just tell that he noticed that I didn't have eyelashes because he just kind of leaned in. I could see him out of the corner of my eye. He leaned in and he got really close. And I could tell in that moment that he knew. And that's when it started. That's when every, when all of it started. He, you know, from fifth grade until eighth grade, this guy made it his mission in life to just make me miserable. Mm. You know, he would tell everybody. And this was a secret I wanted to keep, of course, but he would tell everybody that that he could you know, we would be sitting in class in middle school. I happened to have a class with him. I had more than one class with him, but, and I would look over and the whole table of people that he was sitting with would be looking at me. Mm. And I knew, you know, I just knew I rode the bus with him. Those bus rides to and from school every day were just absolutely terrible. You know, he would mime pulling out his eyelashes and be and say one eyelash, two eyelash, or he would you know, ask me in front of everybody, why do you pull out your eyelashes? You know, and he just every what he was relentless. I do not know why he was relentless, but he was <laughs> most of the other people. Well, everybody knew, but most of the people didn't say much to me. But then there was one girl that also kind of took the lead from him. And so while I was dealing with what he was putting me through on the bus, she would also be, you know, spitting spit wads at me, or she would be spitting in my hair. When I think back to that time, it was these two kids that were just the ringleaders of all of this. That's when I just went within. I shut down. I I would sit on that bus and just try as hard as I could to be invisible. You know, I wouldn't make eye contact with anybody. I wouldn't talk to anybody. Because I knew that the minute I was noticed, it would start. And I can still feel that feeling of just my stomach just falling to my feet every time it would start. And all eyes on that bus were on me. All eyes on those, you know, in those classrooms were on me. And I didn't want that. I wanted this secret to be a secret. And and then I I honestly, the girl that the girl that bullied me really badly went to ended up going to a different high school. So I 
just never saw her again. But I don't know what happened. One day I got off the school bus and this guy that had bullied me relentlessly since fifth grade looked at me and said, hi, Andrea. And I was like, oh, God, here it comes. And I said, hi. And he never bothered me again. I don't know what happened to this day. I don't know what happened that made him stop. And once I got into high school, the bullying stopped, but, you know, the damage was done and I was just, you know, people still knew, you know, I remember my freshman year, um, you know, people would kind of make comments and people knew. I remember one day I was in choir standing on the, um, the risers and there were some girls standing behind me and I could feel one of them messing with my hair and I knew what they were doing. And I turned around and looked at him and one of them said something like, oh, you had something in your hair, you know, which obviously wasn't true. But ninth grade was not great. It wasn't as bad as middle school had been. But basically, once 10th grade hit, the bullying, you know, pretty much stopped. And I I went on to have a semi-normal, you know, high school career after that. But I was a very damaged, damaged little girl. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. Yeah, Yeah. that's never, never okay. No. Sounds like something changed within him back then. Yeah. 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 But there's never, there was never an apology or anything like that. No, and I would actually love to sit with him even now, not for revenge or I would just really like to tell him, you did a lot of damage. I need you to know what you did to me, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't, I don't hate him. I don't feel anger toward him because we were just children. I don't know what his story was. I don't know what his life situation was. Yeah. That's kind of one thing that I would, I would like to do one day is sit down with him and just tell him, I need you to know the damage that you did to me. I do think it's interesting because Many of us have trauma at the hands of somebody we were powerless to, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, um, whether it be bullying or different kinds of abuse, because bullying is abuse. Mm-hmm. And I think the hardest thing for a lot of people is how do I heal from something that I may never have resolution of? Like, you may yeah. never sit down and have a conversation. You may never get the apology that you deserve. Mm-hmm those things may never happen. And so I know that you are on a healing journey and I see you out there and I see you using your voice and you're here sharing your message. So how do you think you get to this place of, I am going to heal regardless of the things that I, that happened to me that I didn't have control over? What started my healing journey was not keeping secrets anymore. Mm. When you are spending your life keeping a huge secret and that's a full-time job, making sure nobody knows that I pull out my hair. That is a full-time job. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I cover it. I, I mean, it was when I decided to come clean with my secret and be honest about here's who I am. I cannot tell you the things in my life that have healed. Just by opening up myself and telling, you know, the world, whoever's listening, whoever's reading my Facebook post, whatever, that, hey, here's this thing I do. Here's who I am. Man, 
the healing starts on that day. I mean, I have he- I've been he- healing from the damage that the bullying did. I am healing from trauma that that my, you know, my mom and my biological dad caused. And I don't want to throw them under the bus because my mom, my mom really did the best she could. My dad, another story, but mm, you know, mm-hmm. but forgiveness. I don't even know how that happened. But one day I was on the phone with my mom and we were just talking and all of a sudden I was just thinking to myself, oh my God, I'm starting to forgive her for all the the stuff that I've been holding on to. Just being open and being truthful about who you are. That to me is has been the best way to be on this healing journey. It's been awesome. What do you think brought you to that point of saying, I'm just going to share this? A lot of it was actually my husband. Something about the way he came into my life and he has loved me so completely and he has supported me so completely and has never judged any part of me, even the parts of myself that I judge. Something about the way he loved me made me feel safe. And, you know, maybe it was, okay, I'm going to tell this big secret about myself and it's going to be life-changing, but now I have a safe place to go when I'm scared about that or if things don't turn out the way I want them to, you know? So I think he just became such a safe place for me that I was able to finally open myself up. Which it probably started before then in your in yourself, because I know you said you came from an abusive marriage and then you were a single mom. And then to re-enter into a relationship like you did with your husband, I think that requires opening, you know, yeah, um, and trusting of yourself that I'm going to allow myself to try and be in a relationship, to be open to someone yeah, um, this, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I can't actually, you know, pinpoint what, you know, a specific thing that made me decide, okay, I'm going to start dating again. I think part of it was that I knew that my boys were growing up, you know, and while I was raising my boys, I was able to throw myself into that, you know, a million percent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once I kind of realized that my boys were starting to grow up, I think that kind of planted the seed in my mind of, what happens if you have to do for yourself and decide what you want in life and what you want to do? And I think it just kind of grew from there. I trusted that I knew what red flags to look for as I entered the online dating world. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> that's a big one. Yeah. yeah. But that, you know, that did take me 20 years. I was single for 20 years trying to heal from my life and an abusive marriage. And, you know, so it took, it took a long time, you know, but I got there. Yeah, you did. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I'm sure you love Brene Brown. You just seem I like do. a Brene Brown person. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, I get yep. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite things that she talks about is she says that relational wounds need a relational balm and how, when we have wounds that have happened through relationship, we need to heal those through relationship. And so that sounds like what you're talking about with your husband in that 
your husband was able to kind of recreate the norm for the the standards or the requirements of how people treat you in a relationship. Yes. Yeah. I tell people all the time that I got really lucky because there are times where I question, is this even real? Because, <laughs> you know, because I had really convinced myself that I was either going to have to stay single my whole life or I was going to have to settle because the relationships that I've had in my life have all been, you know, not great, not up to par. <laughs> to have somebody now that that treats me like he does is like, wow, I didn't even know this existed. I didn't even get it. You know, the first time <laughs> I posted on Facebook, the first time we were ever at a restaurant and he went to the restroom and he left his phone right there on the table. And I was like, he's not hiding his phone from me. He's not taking his phone to the back. What? Honesty? What? You know, and that was, that's foreign to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, did, I didn't know that kind of honesty. So yeah, it's definitely been the balm that I, <laughs> that I've needed for sure. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I want to go back to what you said about not keeping the secret anymore, because it seems like not keeping the secret takes away the power of the people who were having power over you. Yeah, absolutely. The girl that bullied me, it's strange. And I, I'm not sure why this is. Whenever I would think of her, there would be almost a fear. Hmm. And I don't know why there wasn't that with, you know, with the guy that bullied me, probably because I got to experience him not bullying me because he didn't bully me through high school, whereas she just went to a different high school. So I just never saw her again. What I did is I decided one Saturday morning I woke up and I just sat in my chair in my bedroom and I looked horrible and didn't care. And I made a Facebook video and told my whole story. And so, well, just a video, but then um, I just posted it. I posted it on Facebook and Instagram and was like, all right, now I need to leave the house. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, was, I was scared. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, you know, once I did that, I think, too, that the, the amount of love and acceptance that I received that day and the days afterward was so phenomenal that it changed my view on, on just people. Because before that, people were scary and people were were mean and not to be trusted. And when I got so much love and so many messages and I, I was blown away, I was like, oh my gosh, the, these people love me still. And nobody's saying anything mean or horrible or, you know, then I think it just set me free as far as the part of me that was still letting these two bullies convince me that the world is a scary bad place and that people are inherently bad and mean. I was absolutely allowed to let that go. That's huge. Yeah, because those beliefs are true, right? As long as they're kept inside of our head. Yeah. And so then we can never challenge them or find an ulterior uh, alternative way of of seeing things. Mm -hmm. But when they're kept inside our head, they're kept in those in the darkness, which the darkness breeds shame and 
makes things a million times worse. So I, I can completely relate to what you're saying. And I felt that way with my book. I wrote my book and was like, I have to say this. I have to put it out there. And I, yes, I did it to help other people, but mainly I did it for my own freedom. I knew the freedom there would be once there were no secrets and I didn't have to hide anything and I didn't have to worry about if people would find out or what they think about me or any of those things. And there's such enormous freedom in that. And also opportunity for us to know people aren't exactly what we think that they are. And the amount of people that came and said, thank you so much. This helped me like that vulnerability is not only healing for ourselves, but it's healing for the people around us. It, it gives them permission to, to fully step into who they are and share their secrets. Absolutely. I did. I got a handful of messages over messenger that people were telling me, I do this, or I know somebody that does this, or, you know, I do something similar. And it was just like, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and that made me feel good. That made me feel so good. And now, because I've been vulnerable about who I am and my, you know, quote, faults, I really love it because I feel like that really gives the people around me permission to a million percent be exactly who they are and know that you are not going to get judgment or nastiness from me. I don't Mm. care what you tell me. Mm, (laughs) I don't care what you've done or who you are. Nope. (laughs) Yeah. It makes you you a safe person. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love, you know, I love the thought of, of being able to maybe be somebody that, that can be somebody's safe place and soft place to land. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to be somebody that is a voice for people, especially kids who are being bullied. You know, because when I was in middle school being bullied, you know, it was bad enough. But now you've got social media mm-hmm. on top of that. And, whew, you know, you see too many, too many kids that are taking drastic measures, you know, and I, I hate that. And I want to be somebody that can tell them it's okay. It's mm-hmm. going to get better. And if you need me to come to your school and hang out with you every day, all day, I will. (laughs) This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is an amazing way to get in all of your learning while also living life and doing the things that are much more mundane that maybe you don't really want to do. Audible makes it so much more exciting. I consume all of my reading these days through Audible because I just don't have time to sit down and read and love that I can multitask and consume so much more knowledge and learning while I'm doing the everyday things like driving and laundry. 
Audible offers a free 30-day trial and you also get a free book. And so once your trial is over, you get to keep that book. And then when the trial's over, it's only $14.95 a month after that. There's no contract and you can cancel at any time, which is a true bonus. There's so much amazing content that you can choose from. There's podcasts, audiobooks, uh, guided wellness, and lots of Audible originals. I'm currently learning how to speak European Portuguese through Audible, which has taught me so much and I'm so grateful for. So a couple of things referenced in this episode are books that really impacted me along my journey of unraveling and deconstructing. Uh, Two of those books are You Are Your Own by Jamie Lee Finch and Shameless by Nadia Boltz Weber. Both of those books are also read by the author, which I always love when they're read by the author because I feel like you just, you're just sitting down having a conversation with them rather than being read to. So I would encourage you to check out those books. Get over and check out Audible. You can sign up at audibletrial.com slash wepodcast. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash wepodcast. All right, now let's get back to the conversation. Looking back now on your experience, are there things your your parents could have done or your mom could have done, maybe are signs that she could have seen within you? Because I know you said you didn't tell anybody what was happening. And so it's hard for us as parents to intervene, right, if we don't know what's going on. But I do think there's got to be some signs, right, that something's not right, something's off. Was that, can you, I mean, what was that for you? Yeah, I think for me, I didn't have language to express my emotions or what I was feeling Mine would come across more as a horrible temper, screaming, mm. you know, over, over exaggeration of just every emotion there is. I would get horrible um, stomach aches a lot that the doctor couldn't pinpoint a cause. We couldn't figure out what it was, you know, and I would just lay on my mom's lap and just cry because my stomach would hurt so badly. You know, so mine manifested in kind of physical situations like that. You know, it's it's kind of like when when you're a baby and you cry because you're hungry, or you cry because your diapers, because you don't have words, you don't you don't know how to express that. It was kind of the same for me. I didn't know how to express it, so I expressed it through screaming and crying and tantrum throwing and. And all kids, you know, throw tantrums at one point or another, but mine was extreme. Like mine was to the point where I think anybody that, that kind of looked at me would know something was, was up, you know, something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And my mom, you know, she was a single mom until I was eight, you know, doing everything by herself. So she had that, you know, working against her. And 
you know, like I said, she was raised in a household where emotions and feelings were <laughs> not okay and not discussed. And so she had nothing in her toolbox right. to deal with this little girl who is full of 10,000 emotions all at the same time. I feel like we are, our, our parents' generation, I feel like we are hopefully rocking the boat as far as the the expectations of, you know, no talking about feelings, you keep everything to yourself, you know, family secrets, all of those things. Hopefully, yeah. we are starting to change the norm on that and change, change the dialogue around that. And it is, it makes all the difference. It does. I, I feel really strongly that as long as a family is keeping family secrets and hiding things and not dealing with emotions. I always call it, you know, being, being a Stepford wife where everything's great. Everything's wonderful. We don't talk about the ugliness. That's not living authentically. And you might as well not even try to have a relationship with your family because it's not real. Mm -hmm. You know, I would much rather be in a family where we argue and cry and, you know, whatever we need to do so that it's real and honest. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I agree. I think it is so important. It's so important that we stop those, those generational curses that are, you know, have been handed down. Absolutely. Thank you for that. I do think a lot of parents listen to this podcast. And so I think it's helpful, you know, to give them a little bit of insight into if this is happening with my child, what, you know, what can I do or what should I look for in helping, helping them? I like what you said earlier, though, too, and just being their biggest fans. Yes. Being that being a place where they can just talk without. I think as adults, we we just want to give them advice and we want to tell them what we think that they should do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and put our two cents in, but just being able to be a place where they can talk openly without that, I think is another huge one. Well, and I know, you know, when, when my boys were little, I think it was Toni Morrison, maybe that I saw on Oprah one day. And she had said, don't quote me that it was her because I'm not 100% sure, but, but whoever it was had said, the best thing you can do for your kids is every time you see them, act like them being in that moment is the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. And that really stuck with me. And I've always, I always tried to do that, you know, when I pick them up from school or, you know, even now when I see them and they're adults now. You know, you just, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to see you. Mm -hmm. You know, because if you can teach your child from the time they're born that you think that they are the most wonderful thing in the world, I think that right there can set them up for success. Because then from the minute they're born, they have this person or these people who are always happy to see them and think that they're wonderful and are always there for them. And, you know, I think that's just so important because then, you know, you're not a little kid kind of trying to fend for yourself through life, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I think a lot of parents have a hard time doing that because then they feel like they're not teaching them or like, I see that a lot. Why, you know, why should I reward my kids for 
things that they should be doing anyways. Like I hear a lot of parents being like, well, if I'm too overly nice or overly loving, then they're going to be a brat or they're, they're not going to learn. But I think that that is absolutely untrue. <laughs> I agree. I completely agree. I remember one time I had posted on Facebook bragging about um, my oldest son had taken it upon himself to, you know, empty the dishwasher and clean up the kitchen. And I was just like, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> so I posted about it. And, you know, I heard somebody that that didn't know I was in the room um, say that that was ridiculous that I posted that because that's what kids should be expected to do. And, and I just thought to myself, no, yeah, you expect them to do that. But at the same time, there is nothing wrong with telling somebody that thing that you did made me so happy. Thank you so much. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't, I don't think anyway. Yeah. So we need yeah. a lot more of it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> with we, our kids and with each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, I told my husband, you know, we're all so quick to point out and be vocal about the things that we don't like about people or places or that we forget that we need to put more effort into pointing out the good things and the wonderful things that people do. You know, we'd, we'd be a much happier world if all of us knew that we're great, wonderful people that make the world a better place. I agree. So let's tell our listeners a little more about where you are now. So you you uh, you got married. You are madly in love with your husband. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and tell, so where are you now with the disorder? How is that playing out for you now? So after I made the, the day after I made and posted my video on Facebook, I had my husband just shave my head because it, I didn't, I didn't want to deal with any of it. I do still struggle with it. It is still kind of a coping mechanism that I use, but now there's not really any shame involved in it. So honestly, I think that I just kind of have the attitude of it kind of just is what it is. And I don't feel shame about it. I don't feel bad about it. You know, I'm in a I'm in a trichotillomania awareness group on Facebook, and so many people in that group. Most of the comments are, "How can I stop doing this? I want to stop." Which I get, of course, absolutely. But I think I'm kind of at a place where it just kind of is what it is, and I've got I've got such a great life right now, and I'm doing great things, and I'm healing and growing every day. And I just don't really consider it a, a problem anymore, mm -hmm. which some people might find strange because, you know, it's a disorder. So I think most people are going, well, wouldn't you want to stop that? And it just is what it is, you know? So I'm, I'm okay with it. And I wear, I wear my little head scarves and I've got uh, some really beautiful wigs. I got a pink wig. Oh, so exciting. It's actually your your picture for this podcast. You're wearing oh, it, right? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Is that, oh, that's yes. right. Yeah. Uh -huh. yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, and that was something cool that I got to do. Like, you know, I want pink hair. Okay. I'll have pink hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, today I want curly hair. Okay. Today I want short hair. Okay. You know, so yeah. it just, it just is what it is at this point. It's just part of who I am and it's part of of who I, who I am today. And I really am digging who I am today. I like my myself and 
you know, so it's not a terrible thing anymore. I think that's where another huge freedom lies is learning to love ourselves and accept ourselves exactly as we are for who we are in this moment without having expectations of being something different. Absolutely. I never thought that I would get to a place where, number one, where I wasn't hiding, you know, my disorder because I thought I would never, ever, ever <laughs> tell people. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I also never thought that there would be a time where I would feel such freedom and, and just love for myself and forgiveness for myself. You know, I've been able to really forgive myself for a lot of, of mistakes that I've made in my life and, and things that I've done to myself, you know, so it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's been good. <laughs> yeah. But something I hear there is self-responsibility. You, you sound, Andrea, like you are really good at taking responsibility for yourself rather than staying in, I was a victim. I, I think that's a huge shift for people too. I am now forever, forever until I started this journey. I was very comfortable in victim mode. That was my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. You know, I was horribly bullied. I, my parents made these mistakes. I was in an abusive marriage. Oh my goodness. Being a victim was my comfort zone. I did not want to come out of it, but this journey has really just taught me that life is so much better when you grab a hold of the reins and not only start creating the life you want, but also taking full responsibility for it. And yeah, yep, that does mean that sometimes I have to say, ooh, sorry, I was really wrong. And, you know, I just recently had a situation. I hope they listen to this with my son where I said some really mean things about his girlfriend and it was coming from a place of anger and ego and I hurt her. I hurt her with the words that I used and I had to really apologize to her and, and I still feel bad about what I did say to her that hurt her and it hurt my son too, you know, but I'm in a place now where I can say, man, I screwed up and I am so sorry. That was not you. That was me. I did that, you know, and it's freeing. It's a freeing thing. And it, life is just happier when you get out of victim mode and start owning everything, you know? Yes. There's just so much more power there. Yeah, absolutely. What do you feel has been the most vital to your growth? Forgiveness. Absolutely. 100% forgiveness. It's not until you start really forgiving that you realize just how much it weighs on you to carry around hatred and anger and sadness and betrayal. And once you are able to get to a point where you can really start to forgive other people and yourself, you feel physically lighter, even, you know, you're just. You're not dragging all that around anymore. And it it doesn't excuse whatever behavior hurt you. It doesn't. But it's freeing yourself from, from holding on to that. And that's been the biggest part of my healing journey. 
that shift to I have to forgive them so that that excuses their behavior to I'm forgiving them for myself and for my own freedom and for my own peace. Exactly. Well, and what's cool is that some people you can forgive because you can learn about who they are and where they came from. And that maybe gives you a little insight into why they were the way they were and why they acted the way they acted. And that's cool because then you get to forgive and you get to start a whole new relationship with that person. You know what I mean? So that's cool too when you get to do that. Enter empathy. Yay for empathy. <laughs> Yay. I know. <laughs> it makes all the difference. It I does. mean, I'm a quote person. I think when it, there's a quote that says the opposite of anger is not peace, it's empathy. Yeah. I think Brene, did Brene Brown say that? I think she did. I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a quote person too. Yeah. I have quotes all over my space. (laughs) That's so funny. I know all these quotes in my mind, but I I can never remember who said it. And then I always say it a little bit wrong. (laughs) Me too. I do too. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, it's something along those lines. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, Andrea. So walking away from this podcast, what do you want to make sure that people know? So one thing that I always want to stress to people is when you have a baby, you know, whether you have your own baby or you adopt or however you have a baby, if nothing else, teach them kindness and understanding and open-mindedness because I think it's so important that we as parents teach our kids from a very young age to not be bullies. It's one thing to try to teach our kids to be confident in who they are and which we should do as well, but it's just as important to teach our kids, don't be mean. Don't, Don't do that. Don't be mean to people. Always be kind. If you can help somebody, help somebody. That's that's one thing that that is so important to me. I think I actually went a little too far with it with my kids because I would always say, I honestly am more concerned with you being a kind human than I am with your grades. Yeah, <laughs> me too. You know? Yeah, but mm-hmm. that was so important to me when I was raising my kids that they not be bullies. So that's, I think that would be the one thing that's most important for me to get across to people. Yeah. Thank you for that. Sure. It's, it's a big one. So I will have your links to your socials and, and those things in the show notes, but can you just tell our listeners uh, how to find you? Where do you hang out? Where, where's the best place to connect with you? Sure. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram most. And friend me, let's link up, whatever. If I can be of any help to anyone, if I can be any help, I'm there. You know, I'm, I'm willing, I'm able, I want, I want to use my story and my situation to help and make the world better. You know, so definitely Facebook and Instagram. I've got, I've got a copywriting business. That's not, (laughs) but if people, if people need a copywriter, 
I'm also available. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're there, yeah. girl. Yeah. yeah. Facebook and Instagram, and I would love to connect with people. Well, thank you. Thank you for being brave. Thank you for stepping into your truth and, and not keeping secrets anymore. I know that it, it has helped you in big, big ways, but it also helps all of us. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you for giving me a place to, to share my story. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you for listening to the WE podcast. I'm grateful for you showing up with us in this space. If you'd like to connect, please look for links to our social media and ways to get in touch in the show notes. This show is produced by Loudspeaker Public Media. You should also know that Loudspeaker is completely listener supported and that you can become a member at loudspeaker.org. You can find more of the We Podcast as well as so much more awesome programming on the network. And again, that's at loudspeaker.org. Also, giving credit to my talented daughter for creating my show music. If you heard something that resonated with you and you know it would be helpful for others, please don't forget to share with your friends. You can also read more of our blog focused on all things personal growth at theweespot.com. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth, show up for the hard conversations, choose growth, and always know that you are not on this journey alone. See you next time. This has been a listener-supported production of Loudspeaker Studios. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.org. This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is an amazing way to get in all of your learning while also living life and doing the things that are much more mundane that maybe you don't really want to do. Audible makes it so much more exciting. I consume all of my reading these days through Audible because I just don't have time to sit down and read and love that I can multitask and consume so much more knowledge and learning while I'm doing the everyday things like driving and laundry. Audible offers a free 30-day trial and you also get a free book. And so once your trial is over, you get to keep that book. And then when the trial's over, it's only $14.95 a month after that. There's no contract and you can cancel at any time, which is a true bonus. There's so much amazing content that you can choose from. There's podcasts, audiobooks, uh, guided wellness, and lots of Audible originals. I'm currently learning how to speak European Portuguese through Audible, which has taught me so much and I'm so grateful for. So a couple of things referenced in this episode are books that really impacted me along my journey of unraveling and deconstructing. Uh, two of those books are You Are Your Own, 
by Jamie Lee Finch and Shameless by Nadia Boltz Weber. Both of those books are also read by the author, which I always love when they're read by the author because I feel like you just, you're just sitting down having a conversation with them rather than being read to. So I would encourage you to check out those books. Get over and check out Audible. You can sign up at audibletrial.com slash wepodcast. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash wepodcast. All right, now let's get back to the conversation. <music> 